Folks, I'm going to stand up strong today. Stand up strong against the religious world, the so-called Christian churches of this world. Sometimes we need to stand up and just talk and say what is the truth against those who want to stand up and teach lies. It amazes me knowing what God has shown me, and I know why. The only reason I know anything about the true and living God is because he's been gracious to me. And you know that too. You know that for a fact. You, you know that there was a day when you had heard all this stuff that you hear from this pulpit, maybe, maybe it for exactly what you're hearing from this pulpit or some kind of a Christ renewal, and you know that there was a day when you didn't love any of it. You know that the Lord has taught you the truth of what he is. So that's, it, it's hard for us to say, well, I can't understand why they keep doing that. Yes, we can. Because they don't have the grace of God in the churches around this world. They don't have the truth. God has not given them the truth. And anybody who stands up and says, Christ loves all man, all mankind, and died for all mankind, and is waiting for you to receive it, is a liar. Amen. I can't get any more bold than that. Amen. But we're going to talk about that through God's word today. Don't just take John's word for it. We're going to look it into God's word and maybe... Just maybe he'll bless his people. And maybe one who's never heard it before. I see our guests that were here last week have not returned. I'm saddened by that. I'm saddened by that. I want to begin this morning's message by reading all three accounts from Matthew, Mark, and Luke on this event that happened in the Sea of Galilee. Turn to Matthew chapter 8 and join me, if you would, at verse 23. And when he, speaking of our Lord, was entered into a ship, his disciples followed him, and behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the ship was covered with the waves, but he was asleep, and his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we perish. And he saith unto them, Why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds of the sea, and there was a great calm. But the men marveled, saying, What manner? of man is this, that even the winds and the seas obey him. Now turn over to Mark chapter 4. I want, to, I want you to see Mark's record of this. We read in verse 35, And the same day when the evening was come, he saith unto them, unto his disciples, Let us pass over unto the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. 
And they awake him and said unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Now let's turn to our text in Luke. And I'm going to ask you to leave your Bibles open on your laps at this point. Folks, I'm going to read a lot of scripture today. Over in our text of Luke chapter 8, we begin reading at verse 22. And now it came to pass on a certain day that he went into a ship with his disciples. And he said unto them, let us go over on the other side of the lake. And they launched forth. But as they sailed, he fell asleep. And there came down a storm of wind on the lake. And, they're filled, and they were filled with water and were in jeopardy. And they came to him and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we perish. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they ceased, and there was calm. And he said unto them, Where is your faith? And they, being afraid, wondered, saying one to another, What manner of man is this? For he commandeth even the winds and the water, and they obey him. Wow. First thing that strikes me is, our Lord had to sleep. Did you catch that? Isn't it wonderful? The one who is God Almighty, the creator of everything that is, had to sleep. He was flesh. Flesh and blood is you and I. We're going to get to the reason of that in a moment. And I've spoken much lately about the weakness of our faith. It always comes around to us looking to Christ in our weaknesses, seeking his grace in keeping us, resting in him and his love for his chosen people, as we talked about in our Bible study from Hebrews chapter 4. Folks, today is not going to be any different. I was kind of hoping our visitors last week were here so they could hear this. I, I actually thought about this as I was writing it down. You know, I thought, I'm just going to flat out say, this is the same message every week. This is the same message God's children need to hear every week. Why? Because we have storms that come up in our lives all around us every day. If you're a child of God, you know exactly what I'm saying when I say that because the storm of your sin bothers you all the time. And it's going to bother you until the day it takes us the day the Lord takes us out of this world. When it stops bothering you, when it stops bothering you, you need to get on your knees and pray to the Lord for grace and mercy. Grace and mercy. We think the only time we need to pray for grace and mercy is when we're in the middle of those trials. No. It's when it's peaceful. When we're all okay with what we're doing in this world that we need to be on our knees the most. Praying out, Lord, Lord, don't leave me to myself. Convict me. Bring me to look to my Savior and Him alone. 
Today is no different. Our voyage through this world has come another mile, you could say. Our time on the sea of life continues. For some of us, the sea has been calm, smooth sailing. Others, a storm or two has come down upon them. What say ye? Is your storm, is your sin a storm to you? May God the Holy Spirit now teach you and I what he would have us to learn from this event. As our Lord and his disciples were crossing that Sea of Galilee, there came down a storm. And the disciples, in the panic of their terror, were filled with unbelief. Did you catch that? Can you understand what that is? Have you ever felt that yourself? They were filled with unbelief. Here they were in the presence of the Almighty. They had seen him do all the miracles that we've been reading about in the book of Luke. They had seen him heal. A centurion's uh, uh, servant without even going to the house. They had seen it. They, they, they saw the conversation between the Lord and the centurion. They had heard that, this, that the servant had got up and everything was fine. Or the woman, they had seen the Lord as, as the woman's, uh, as the procession of uh, a funeral procession had passed by in front of all of them. They're all walking along, Christ and his men, his disciples, and here comes a funeral procession. A woman's son had died. And the Lord healed him right there on the spot. He got up and walked. They had seen this with their eyes. And they're on the ship and the waves come up and their faith falters. Has that ever happened to you? When they cried out, as Matthew records it, Lord, save us, we perish. And then Mark reports their cry, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And then in Luke, he tells us that they cried, Master, Master, we perish. Now I suspect, I suspect that those 12 terrified men in that small board, boat tossed to, and fro, tossed to and fro by the waves, there were probably more cries than what are recorded here. Now I imagine if you saw waves splashing up over the side of your boat, you'd be a little bit concerned and probably be crying a little more. Where's... Where's, where's Christ at? Where'd he go? I'd be crying before I got down to the bottom to wake him up, that's for sure. These three men that we see this recording of are recording the terror in their hearts. When sin rises up in us, does it not terror bring terror to our hearts? Lord, is it I? Am I the one who's going to who's going to uh, stab you in the back? Am I the one who's going to sell you for 30 pieces of silver? Is it I? These men show us the terror that was filled in their hearts. Even though the Lord had provided the ship for them, even though he had promised to always be with them, they trembled at the sin of doubt. The swell that swells up in them. I ask, do you? I can't help but think 
how smooth the sea is at times and how it could seem to be before the Lord taught me of my own sin before the storms came down upon me. Did every time my Lord, when he seems to be asleep, he arises calmly. He rises calmly and he rebukes my unbelief. John, it's not your belief or your unbelief that saves you. It's my son, the Lord Jesus. That's what coming to the table is all about, isn't it? Rebuking our unbelief. Rebuking the weakness of our faith. It seems he rebukes my unbelief and then the mere power of his word calms the sea and the storm around me. And I say to myself, what manner of man is this? What manner of man is this that we read about? Isaiah describes him like this in Isaiah 53 verse 2. He says, for he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we are hid, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. This is what manner of man he was. He was a man sent of God. The Lord himself in his priestly prayer says this in John 17 verse 4. He says, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. O now, and now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. He was a man. What manner of man was he? He was a man who was sent of God. Christ was sent, folks. He came willingly, yes, but he was sent of the Father. You see, long before anything was ever created, in the eyes of the great three in one, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, they had chosen a people to love for eternity. It's called the covenant of grace. Knowing that those people left to themselves would sin against God. Knowing that that was going to happen. So God the Father says, well, they can't be in the presence of me. I'm holy. And I cannot be in the presence of sin. Something must be done. Go. He sent his son to save that people. 
What manner of man is this? He's God Almighty in the flesh. That's what manner. We have to have a perfect sacrifice to wash away the sins that we have in this flesh. People don't like to hear that. I'm not the sinner that you think I am. I'm a good person. I've never killed anybody. I've never done anything wrong. I've never lied. Do you know that's a lie? <laughs> to say that I have never lied is a lie. I don't care who you are. You may not have lied to me or someone else in this room or somebody else in your life, but you've lied to God. When you said, I'll not have that one to rule over me, you're lying. Because he already does. <laughs> he already rules over all that is. That's the sovereign God that we worship, the sovereign God who has called us out of the darkness that we once walked in into the marvelous light of his Son, the Lord Jesus. What manner of man is this? He's the God-man. He's sent of God as a tender plant. As God, he could not die. As God, he had all the glory and all the strength and all the power. But as flesh, he was subject to its weaknesses. <gasps> what did you say about the Lord Jesus? <laughs> As flesh, he was subject to the weaknesses. Did he not hunger? Did he not thirst? Was he not sleeping in the boat? He was subject to the weaknesses of the flesh. He was tempted yet without sin. People want to confuse that. Say, oh, that's the same thing. No, it's not. Not at all. He was subject to the weakness of death. As man in the flesh, he, had, he was subject to the weakness of death. It says, and as a root out of dry ground, he hath no form nor comeliness and when he shall see, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. We had no desire for a man to rule over us. Maybe if he had come in all of his glory, maybe if he'd come like he shall in the second coming, in all of his glory with all the angels of heaven, maybe if he had done that the first time, maybe then. Maybe if he had pulled up by with with a white stallion, had a magnificent chariot pulled by a white stallion. Maybe if he had been dressed in beautiful robes, maybe then we would have had him as our God. I doubt it. Not this man, though. Not a humble child who was born in a manger. We won't have that to rule over us, shall we? What manner of man is this? Listen to how John describes this man. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God, and all things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness 
comprehended it not. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. And then in verse 14, And the word was made flesh, and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, and the glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. What manner of man is he? Jeremiah described him this way, The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. What manner of man is he? He's a man who has loved his people from before the world was. Aren't you thankful for that? Didn't that make you just want to praise God for loving you at all? He's loved his people. I have loved thee, he says, with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn thee. You know, one of the most wonderful things the Lord revealed to me right off the bat was that I would have never chosen him. I said, that's right. Why? Same reason you did. The Lord had revealed it to us. He revealed how dead we were in trespasses and sin, unable to do anything that pleased God, Any, unable to even reach out and take the so-called medication that's on the nightstand. If you just reach over and take it, they say, no, no, God's people know I was dead. I couldn't do anything. And if it wasn't for his love for me from before the world was, I'd still be dead in trespasses and sin. If he hadn't chose me and his son before the world was ever created, I'd still be dead and deserving his wrath against me. This is the manner of man that came to this world and put his glory aside for a moment. Out of love for his people, out of his love for you. You know, the world stands up and they say, Oh, God loves everybody. If you'll just let him. That's offensive to God's people. That's offensive to us, and we've got to stand up against it. We've got to declare it as a false gospel. Because people are going to go through that door marked death thinking that. Now, I'm, I'm going to have to stop myself for just a moment because I just about got away from myself. Those who go through the door marked death thinking that were those that God did not love from the beginning foundation of the world. He says, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me. So you can't go through that door marked death unless God doesn't love you. But it's our duty to stand up and declare his love for his people. How do we know who they are? How do we know those visitors that stopped by last week didn't, aren't children? Maybe they'll come back. Maybe what they heard here, maybe they'll go visit somewhere else and say, that's not what that guy preached last week. This is nonsense. Maybe that's where they are today, listening to a preacher say, God loves you if you'll just come forward and, and pray his prayer. Oh, how I pray 
pray that that is the truth for those folks. What manner of man is this who came to this earth and shed his own blood for you? Philippians 2, verse 5, we read these words, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God. Thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. What manner of man is this? He made himself of no reputation, he put his glory aside and he took upon him the form of a servant, as it says in Philippians 2.7. And was made in the likeness of men. And being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Whew. That's what manner of man this is. He's a man who loves his people and is God in the flesh. He'll have those people. And nothing, including you, if you belong to him, can stop him. Oh, great. That means I can just sit back and do nothing, right? <laughs> That's what John Reeves would have done if left to himself. So, right on. Cool. That was too much work for me to do anyway. Oh, that's not the way it works though, does it? No. Next thing you know, we're walking out the door on a Sunday morning and Kathy says, where are you going? I'm going to church. Why? I don't know. I just got to go. How come you're not staying home sick, James? I don't know. I just got to go. Been, here, been away from it too long. I need to hear it again. I need to hear about my Savior some more. This is what this manner of man is. Listen to the words of Ephesians 2, verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened, that means made alive, hath made alive us together with Christ by grace ye are saved, and he hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places. In Christ Jesus. What manner of man this is, what manner of man this is. Listen to Ephesians 5, verse 2. And walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering, a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling Savior. That's what kind of man this is. That's what manner he is. He gave himself for us. He laid down his life. He shed his blood. He became, he was made sin for you and I. That we would be made the righteousness of God in him. I've said this before. I'm going to repeat it. Have you ever stopped and tried to wrap your mind around that? God made his son sin. He who knew no sin. He never did any sin. 
He never committed. In fact, everything he did pleased the Father, including being made sin. We'll see that in a moment in Isaiah. This is what manner of man this is. Listen to 1 John 4.10. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news for a sinner? Here's one in Revelation chapter 1, verse 5. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. What manner of man is this? He's my savior. Is he yours? Is he your savior? This is what manner of man he is. He's the son of the living God. Sent of the Almighty Father, sent to be born of a woman, sent as a servant to redeem his people that he has loved, loved from before the foundation of the world, sent to pay the price of their sins in full, sent to wash them in his own righteous blood, and only the God-man can do that. Back in Isaiah 53, we read in verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him, speaking of his son, speaking of this man, what manner of man is this? He had laid on him the iniquity of us all. That means everything. You know why I'd like to leave the world today the most? I mean, obvious reasons we want to be with the Lord Jesus, right? Obvious reasons there. I don't want to sin against him anymore. <sighs> All the iniquity that I will commit tomorrow rest of this day and every day till the Lord takes me out of this world was laid on the one that loves me in verse 7 it says he was oppressed He was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He didn't speak up against it. They charged him falsely, and he never said a word. You know why? Symbolically, guilty. He had my guilt upon him. He had your guilt. Your iniquity laid upon him. 
He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shears, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and the rich in his death. You know what that means? He died with those who were wicked. He was hung on that cross with those who were guilty for what they were hanging on the cross for. But he was laid in a rich man's grave that had never been used. He made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death because he had done no violence, neither was there any deceit in his mouth. Verse 10 says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. It pleased God to punish his son for us. This is why I need to stand up against those who say God loves everybody. No, he doesn't. Because if he did love everybody and somebody went to hell, his love would mean nothing. God's love for me means something. It grabs a hold of me, and it's hard for me to hold back the emotional effect that God's love has upon me. Why? Because why would a man, why would God come in the form of a man to save me? Because he's loved me, like he says. And that's the only reason. There's no reason in me. There's no reason in this flesh. There's nothing that John has done to merit God's love. He's just loved me. And that means something, doesn't it? Does God's love mean something to you? If it doesn't, you need to get on your knees and cry out, Lord. It pleased the Father to bruise His Son for us. That's what manner of man this is we're talking about. That's what manner of man we have come to worship today. The God-man, our Lord, Jesus Christ. We worship Him because He has loved us from before the world was. And gave Himself, shed His blood for us that we will be with Him for eternity. It goes on in 53.10 to say this, He hath put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days and the pleasures of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. That's exactly what's going on right now. Everything, everything is in the hand of our Savior because death could not hold him. Was he man? Could he die? Absolutely but he was also God. 
is God manifest in the flesh. And as God, he's God even over death. This event in our text upon the sea is another picture of our daily salvation. Did you catch that? Did you, did you grasp a hold of that? Our daily salvation. What, what are you talking about, John? Wasn't I saved on the cross 2,000 years ago? Christ went to the cross to pay for your sins, absolutely. But I need saving from that sin that's in this flesh every day, every moment. We are but weak vessels of mercy traveling in our time. We are on our way across the sea to the other shore, yet we belong to him. He will never leave us nor forsake us. How many do you think, how many do you think were on the sea that day? Have you ever stopped to think about that? As you're reading these words from the Lord, have you ever kind of pictured yourself in the same situation? Maybe I'm picturing myself on a boat and I see Peter get out and walk across the water and I see him begin to sink. Or maybe I'm picturing my mind what it would be to see him on the ship with these men and the, the waves rolling over him and, and they're wondering, are they going to die? And he gets up and calms the ocean. Have you ever thought, how many other ships are out there in that ocean? In that sea? Were there other ones? Well, I'll bet you there were. How many were on the sea that day that, it, that may have perished, yet God saved a few? few sinners, a remnant. There's a, a man over in the Philippines who's uh, been communicating with me via email. He uh, had heard about Rescue Baptist Church through Rick Ward over in Yuba City. And I don't know if he, I don't talk to Rick about his conversations with Bayro. I think that's how he pronounces it. It's spelled B-E-Y-R-O, Bayro. Um, I've never spoken to him on the phone, just through email. And he sent me a, a, a letter the other day asking me, what about this Catholic church who claims to, the Bible is theirs and that we have no right? We have no right to speak. And I, I responded with, with much. I gave him a pretty lengthy letter, but I'll just, I want to make one point from it, and that is, folks, God's people are a remnant. There's a whole world of people that are going to die in their religion. And I point this out to you again because we could be right there with them. It is only by His grace that we're here today worshiping Him in truth and in spirit. It's because of Him. It's because of what He's done. It's because of His love for His people. The words, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me, mean something. Chosen few, vessels of his mercy, sinners saved by his grace, going on in Isaiah 53, 11, he shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. 
God saw the death of his son. He looks at the blood of his son spread upon his people and he says, my justice is satisfied. Your sin's been paid for, Mike. It's done. God looks for you, looks at you as perfect as his son. Isn't that wonderful? I know it's boggling to our minds, but that's the way God says it is. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Listen to Matthew 3.17. What manner of man is this? This one who laid down his life, this one who the Lord saw the travail of his soul of, and he's satisfied of, he says this in Matthew 3.17, and lo, a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. He's not pleased in you, Mike. He's pleased in his son in you. He's not pleased in me. He's pleased in his son in me. What manner of man is this? The man who commits miracles for those that he has loved. Listen to the songwriter John W. Peterson's words where he says, it took a miracle to put the world in place. It took a miracle to hang the stars in space. But when God saved my soul, cleansed and made me whole, it took a miracle of love and grace. Brother Don Fortner wrote this. He says, it is upon the dark background of our great troubles that our Lord most clearly displays his wondrous power and grace. It is in the fiery furnace of adversity that, you, that we know the preserving power of his presence. It is only in the lion's den that we see the Lord's dominion over the lions. The Lord God who is with us and for us is the God who is able to deliver us he is God alone. He is God indeed. Is the storm of God's wrath beating upon your little boat today? I pray the Spirit of God may make this parable a call to faith in your soul. Cry out from your soul to Christ the Master. Appeal to his great compassion. Carest thou not that I perish, O Lord? May the Son of God arise and speak peace to your troubled heart if he will speak by his Spirit. His word of grace will bring great calm to you. Listen to this song. Actually, you know what? You've got to say, we've got a second. Yeah, I'm going to close with this anyway. Turn to Psalms 107. Lord bless you with this. In Psalms 107, beginning at verse 23, it would help if I got there.
They that go down to the sea in ships, that do business in great waters, these see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. <laughs> For he commandeth and raiseth the stormy wind, which lifteth up the waves thereof. When those waves come passing against your ship, remember who it is that commands the winds. Verse 26. They mount up to the heaven. They go down again to the depth. Their soul is melted because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end. Then they come cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and he bringeth them out of their distresses. How was Paul glory? How did he glory in, in the, the troubles that came against him? The same way you and I do. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for not leaving me to myself. Thank you for that trouble that's come upon me, reminding me I can do nothing, that it is you that I must seek to. Verse 29, he maketh the storm to calm so that the waves thereof are still. Then are they glad because they be quiet, so he bringeth them unto their desired haven. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works in the children of men. Now look over at verse 42. The righteousness, or the righteous shall see it and rejoice, and all iniquity shall stop in her mouth. Who is wise and will observe these things, even they shall understand the loving kindness of the Lord. Believe him, folks. Only believe him. And you will see the glory of God. That's what we read in John 11, verse 40. The Lord Jesus is speaking to Martha at the stone of his grave. And he said unto her, Said I not unto thee that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God? What manner of man is this? He is the glory of God. He is the glory of God who stood before Martha that day. What man? What manner of man is this who has saved me from my sin? He's all glory. All glory goes to him. Everything. What say ye of Christ Jesus the Lord? Verse 43. 